Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. Those who suffer severe disabilities face enormous challenges in their daily lives. That much is obvious, but focusing only on those challenges leaves out all the things that these people are capable of. Well, today we'll be speaking to a group working to bring assistive technology to people in Taiwan that helps overcome a wide variety of disabilities and makes the most of the abilities they do have. This group is the Icebreaker Association. I made a trip out to their offices in Taipei to speak with UK expat Kevin Gallagher. He's the group's director and kind of their electronics guy. He started off by telling me that one of their goals is just helping disabled people make use of technologies many of us take for granted. We all know the benefits of uh, technology in our life. Like if we have f- Facebook or Line or so on, we have various means of uh, uh, communication. For, but for somebody who is uh, uh, disabled, they may have no means of uh, uh, communication. They may not be able to speak. But, but a certain uh, technical uh, device can replace that voice. So this is what I mean by that. That would be a very good example like, of a technical way. Somebody else who can't walk who's maybe lying in bed uh, uh, paralyzed, could get in an electric chair and, and move around. So, so technology can be a major benefit. The things we take for, for granted in life can be replaced by, by technology for somebody who is severely uh, uh, disabled. Right, so probably one of the most recognizable uh, technologies would be a wheelchair or a, an electric uh, wheelchair, something like that. But then uh, you also have a different adaptive technology that help people use a computer or help them uh, do what they need to do in a classroom. Is that right? Yes, it is. Well, this is the major thing now, I would say. Like, almost everybody wants to use the Internet. Like, we all know the benefit of the Internet in our life. It, it would be hard to manage life now without having this, this uh, uh, World Wide Web. But for somebody, for instance, who is who is incapable of leaving their home, trapped in bed, trapped in a care home, like the internet, it's a wonderful way to reach the outside world. That that cable coming into their computer is their window to the outside world. But the difficulty is they cannot use the standard access uh, methods that we have. They can't use the mouse. Right, if there's some disability in their hand or in their arm, that would be a difficult interface for them. That's right. We tend to see the the uh, disability, so they can't use the mouse. Like they can't use the uh, the little pad on the on the notebook, a computer, because they can't move their hands. But maybe they can move their foot. Maybe they can move their eyes. Maybe they can move their head. Now, can you use your head movement or your eye movement to control a computer? And if you can, then you have access to the internet. You have access to people outside and so on. So this is a challenge for us is to use is to use these special technical devices uh, assistive technology to use the movement they have left to access the computer and this is what we do. So you've been working in this general field for uh, quite a while now and in uh, this particular group the Icebreaker Association for uh, you told me 3 years. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about uh, what made you, what you saw here in Taiwan that made you want to jump into this and, and make this the focus of what you do? Well, how it started, I mean, I came as a volunteer uh, 25 years ago. And, uh, well, I just came as a general volunteer, but I, ha- I-, I am an engineer by, by background. And I was working with uh, uh, severely disabled, like mentally disabled uh, people and seeing, hey, maybe they can use some technical uh, devices just to help them uh, communicate. Now, how it started was just by using toys. A child with uh, cerebral palsy, whose movement is, v- is very, very coarse movement, like cannot, uh, cannot operate small 
toy small uh, switches. So what I did, I made uh, big switches from uh, big bits of plastic and bits of wire and so on, you know, garbage, the things you throw away, and bought some toys from the night market, some special adaption. It's not so difficult. So I connected the big switch to the specially adapted toy, and wow, it was just incredible the things you could do. These kids were starting to, starting to learn uh, starting to learn about uh, movement training, starting to learn about uh, 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 cause and effect relationships, because these kids have done nothing at all in their lives. Everything has been done uh, f- for them by their parents or their teachers. And for the first time, having a big switch in a toy, this child starts to do something, starts to take control of its environment. And that's how it started for me. This is how the, this whole field of uh, assistive technology got going, was from that, a toy and a switch. And so that's kind of how you got hooked into this, how, how uh, kind of that fire got sparked. Uh, but then as you kept going, uh, did it seem like there was a, a need for this in Taiwan that wasn't quite being met? Yes, there was. You know, Taiwan is a very technically conscious country, as we all know, very technically aware. But uh, I was starting to see many disabled people, not just uh, uh, children, but also middle-aged people, elderly people, basically stuck at home. Some, in some cases, I saw one man lying in bed for 32 years, uh, cognitively perfect, uh, just uh, looking at the television all day. So I was starting to see this, all of these people that I knew could benefit from technology. And you, well, I knew we could uh, do something for these people, give them back more uh, dignity and give them back more... Uh, independence in life. So we're seeing this huge group of people with these needs that, that this, was, this was the big fire to get us going with this association. And that might come as a surprise to a lot of our listeners because I think uh, we don't see these people out in our daily life. We don't see them uh, when we you know, are out on the street. We don't see them at work. Uh, and you were kind of telling me before the interview that that's because they're all at home and uh, because they actually can't go out and, and do the normal things that we do in our daily lives. Yes, it can be just a physical barrier to getting out. If you walk in the streets in Taiwan, there's many... Uh Barriers like the the pedestrian ways in Taiwan can be blocked by goods from a store. There can be up and down steps and so on. There can be motorcycles parked there, cars parked there. So the, the, so this is a problem that, that we see. Just the, just the basic just the basic way of getting outside. The other thing is people are just not aware. Society, I think, is less aware of these technical aids to help disabled people. Whereas perhaps in a Western country, we would generally be aware, schools would be aware of things like uh, communication aids and so on. Here, generally, the, uh, the awareness is not there. The technology is there, but the awareness isn't there of, these, of the technology to help disabled people. So let's dig into this just a little bit more so that our uh, listeners understand exactly what we're talking about. Could you tell us of, of an example of uh, a kid or, or an adult that uh, you've actually worked with and, and helped them uh, get some of this technology that you're talking about? And, and, and tell us how uh, it changed things for them. Oh, yeah. We have I mean, uh, countless stories of lives just being changed, as you often hear, from black and white to uh, color just by a simple technical aid. I'll give you an example. As a young child, I saw, I first saw her when she was, I think she was about eight years old. She started uh, primary school. And now Taiwan is integrated education. By that, I mean uh, disabled children go to school with, with non-disabled children. But the, the typical scene is uh, the disabled child sitting in a wheelchair in the corner of the classroom, really not getting the education that they should be getting. The teacher is mainly teaching the, 
uh, the able-bodied children. The teacher doesn't know. I'm not blaming the teacher, but this is this is a common thing that we saw. But her uh, uh, mother was very adamant. My my daughter's my daughter's bright. My daughter's clever. She's she, she's a smart kid. They grow up together, of course. Uh, the mother knows the child. Uh, yeah, the child is smart. So we go in, we see the child, she has a, a cerebral palsy, her head's moving all over the place, hands are moving all over the place, and, and she can't speak, so how do you know she's clever? So we, got, so we, we try to find the, the, the ability, the, the, the disability is very obvious, but we try to find where her, where her best movement is, and we found that her foot, her left foot, had a very, very good movement, very, very precise movement. So we used what we called a joystick mouse. We put a joystick on the floor, we put a screen keyboard. This is a keyboard. This is a, a software keyboard. Okay, on the screen, and we said, "Okay, use your foot now. Type something. You could type your name." We thought, you know, "There's no way she's going to be able to do this." And I tell you, within, within a minute, her name was up there. In her classroom studies, where she was in that corner, okay, alone, all by herself, she was taking everything in. She knew everything. She was bright. She was smart. But because she couldn't communicate. Nobody believed her. Nobody knew. But having that device and using her foot that was perfectly adequate, she could demonstrate that she was smart. She could access the computer. She could type. And now she, now she can do her homework and so on. She has her Facebook. She has Line and everything. So that's, that's a very good example of, of the kind of thing we see. And I think it's also a good example of uh, what specifically your role is in all this. So uh, just to tell us even a little bit more there. So basically what you're saying is, your, your main job is to figure out where that ability is and figure out what technology uh, is the right thing for uh, each individual person. Yes, it is. It's the evaluation to find out where the uh, ability is. Everybody has an ability. That's a key concept. You must have that sense. Everybody has ability, no matter how disabled the person or the child is. There is always some ability. The second thing is, is to find the technology to match that ability. It could be a hand, it could be an eye, it could be a head, or, or so on. So, so in a way, we're like a bridge. We are the bridge between the disabled population that's already there and the technology, which is already there. And we form the bridge between the two. So you've, you've been in Taiwan for quite a while. You've been here for about 20 years. Uh, so uh, may, maybe it would be difficult for you to make this kind of comparison. But would you say that in other countries uh, there's... Uh, less of a gap. Uh, there's there's less of a need for the kinds of services that you perform. Uh, how, how does Taiwan stack up compared to other countries in this way? Well, I, I would say there is, but I mean, we we have a coming from the UK, we have a well-established uh, social welfare uh, system, a well-established education system. So these technical services would already be resident within the social service network. So we have that long history. Taiwan probably has less of a history of that. So. It has a has very good uh, medical system here, as we all know. The problem is it's uh, post-medical. If somebody has a spinal cord injury, they will be well taken care of in a hospital. But once the medical, once the medical care is done, generally they they are sent home and they're on their own. Now, in a Western country, the the social services would move in, and if they needed a a special lifting device to get them out of bed, if they needed a special access device to get them on a computer, it, it would be provided by the social services or by the educational services free of charge. So there isn't the same need for charities like us, I would say, in places like the UK. I'm sure it's much the same in the US. So, so we're seeing this need in Taiwan just for 
for the charitable sector to, to raise this awareness level to get to also amongst the uh, uh, government agencies because we, we, we hope that they will, they will take over in many areas of this. You know, we are a small charity. We, we, we can only do a limited amount of work. So we are hoping that, that the government services will move in and, and uh, take over to a certain extent. When you talk about the uh, understanding of, of the value uh, of what you're doing here and, and, and this technology uh, and the awareness about this, uh, does that also extend to the public? Is, that, is the public another area where you'd like to see that uh, awareness extended to? Yes, I, I would say it is. Like the general public may be less aware of, of uh, disabled people. Like we still see centers in Taiwan, care homes, where uh, disabled people will be concentrated in a in a home, as we used to call them in the UK, a home, a care home. And they can be sometimes in very remote areas, so they have little contact with, with the general uh, society. Society has little contact with them, and they have little contact with, with uh, a society. Generally, that's not, not the way to go. We should be heading towards integration. And I think maybe there's, we need to increase the awareness of the general public that there's a good thing about this integration. It's good to integrate, to integrate, uh, yeah. The disabled people amongst the general public. Then we have to provide things like uh, more employment opportunities. No, it can just mean like, an adaption of a bathroom. It can mean it, it can mean a ramp on a stair. It can mean a lift on a stair. Now, if we if we implement uh, uh, things like this, we can offer the disabled people employment opportunities uh, and educational opportunities. So I would say in that we have to increase the the awareness of the general public. And right, so those little things that you're talking about there, that could be the difference between uh, somebody being able to take this job and display the skills and the talents that they have and being totally shut out from that. Yeah, it could be the difference between a ramp and a stair. Like to get into a building, it could mean a, it could mean a, a long uh, aluminium ramp or a, something like that. It could be the bathroom. This is a major problem, an adaption to a bathroom. It's not that, it's not that much of a problem. And this could mean the difference between a disabled person having employment or not. But, and, uh, and then the employer can see that, that disabled people are very, very capable of doing the same work as able-bodied persons. So we need to, we need to make these adaptions to, to have this inclusion. It's also good for us able, able-bodied people to be with disabled people. There is a great value in that, I think, for, for, for the whole of uh, our society, the sense of every life has a value, but we have to integrate. I, I think the word I'm looking for here is integration. We all benefit. You're not just a disabled person. And when you work with these families, uh, introducing this technology and kind of explaining to them uh, the value that's here, I mean, what kind of a reaction do you get from them? Uh, is, is there uh, ever any attitudes that uh, are, are, are less than excited to be working with you, or, or is it generally very positive? It's usually positive. It wasn't, I mean, I've been in this field many years. In the beginning, it could be rather doubtful of, of what you can do. There, there's a sense, I think, maybe in Taiwan, of it, it, it's a problem that, that the, the uh, family takes care of themselves. Like a disabled child, it's a problem of that uh, family. There's less of a tendency to reach out to others, reach out to neighbors or, or other people. But now I think it's changed a lot now. There is a, there is, there is a general uh, optimism when we offer help. Very few people now will, will respond by saying, no, 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 we don't want help. Just leave us alone. It's generally seen as a very, a very good thing now. And then we're starting to see more, uh, more disabled people out 
just out and about now, just out in the streets now, which is uh, which is a good thing. So, the, so that's been a good trend. Of course, there's still a long way to go, but there's there's like very good, very good uh, changes in that aspect. So, you think attitudes are changing? Oh yes, yes. Oh yeah, very very optimistic. You know, you can't come here and make big uh, the. Uh, uh, demands you can't come here from a fairly wealthy Western country and uh, demand a country to change overnight. So, but oh yes, there's been huge changes in attitude towards uh, disabled people. Yeah, big changes and a lot of optimism, a lot of hope. We have been speaking today with Kevin Gallagher. He is the director of the Icebreaker Association. Kevin, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks very much for coming along to visit us today, Keith. Thanks for listening to this podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. You can find this show, along with a whole bunch of others from ICRT, on our website and on iTunes. I am just getting into Twitter. You can follow me, at Keith Menconi, for the latest on what we have on offer. That's it for the show for ICRT. I'm Keith Menconi. 